Hello, Motorco Music Hall. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hey, everybody. It's Chris Gethard. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Thanks to everybody who listens, supports the show, who has kept this thing running for six years now. Six years! And I hope we can keep it going for many, many more. want to let everybody know i got live shows coming up December 16th. We're going to be at Littlefield for the Late Show. So early show stand-up, Late Show Improv, December 16th. Come on out, chrisgeth.com for tickets. Now, this week's episode, we just recorded this one live down in Durham, North Carolina. People came out to the Motorco Music Hall. It was awesome. And this call has three major sections. One, you're going to hear about this caller stepping up in the face of something unexpected and and that makes the world feel insane. And one of those situations where sometimes you step up, sometimes you don't. And, and this time he happened to when someone else was in need and it's gruesome. So buckle up for that. Then we start getting into this thing that the, the caller does. And I make fun of the caller a lot and, and say that it sounds a little bit culty. But hey, who am I to criticize things that feel slightly culty? So I'm, I'm ribbing him a little bit on that. But a, a truly cool activity that he plans and shares that I think a lot of people are going to be intrigued by. And then something happens at the end. And you're not even going to believe it. Who, who, who was pulling the strings behind this the whole time? You won't even believe it. Buckle up. Turns out I have a nemesis. Find out who it is the end of the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Good evening. How are you? I'm good. Hey, can I ask you a funny question? Sure. What's your name? (laughs) (laughs) My name is Chris. Thank you. That's not a joke. Uh, My friend said I should call this number, and now we're here. (laughs) So you have no idea what this is. You have no idea why there's people cheering. Well, I mean, you have a lot of pre-recorded messages in the pre-roll, so I gathered it's a podcast, and I gathered we're going to chat, and uh, I didn't know who I was chatting to, so great to meet you. Yeah, just don't tell me your name, and that's really the only rule. All right, my name is... Nope, don't do I'm it. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Imagine if you... If you look, at you're, we, get, we get some rabble rouser on the line who wants to break the only rule. Thanks for taking a chance and calling this thing. Is your friend with you right now? Like, do you have a friend with you? No, she, she had texted me and messaged me and said, hey, you should call this number. And I love responding to random um, invitations. So here we are. Great, great. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I also want to say to the crowd, you can heckle me. You, st- you talked about heckling. I think I can take it. Oh, you want the crowd to heckle you? I'm, a, I'm just allowing it. I'm not you're allowing it. You're not, okay, so not encouraging, but allowing it. So you're yeah. creating a hazy gray area. Perfect. Love that. Love that. Perfect. I think this is going to be great. Well, I have to admit, I, I actually interview people for a living, but I am never on this side of the interview. So I, I'm a little nervous. I love that. So, so that, that also means that like any, any instincts or tricks I've developed over the history of doing this show, you can probably sense me. You can probably sniff me out trying to nudge it in different directions or whatever I'm up to. I, I will disarm all the tricks and just let this flow. How about that? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So we can talk. I mean, the way this works is we got an hour and we can talk about anything you want anything it can be as surface level nonsensical as you want it can get as deep as you feel like it's totally up to you well i talked to your producer and i said i could share the story of the lawnmower all right (laughs) i was at a park Mm -hmm. public park yeah and um i was prepping some gear for for work so just working out in the back of my car and i hear a uh, lawnmower cut off, like it's been running. I hear the engine, you know, chunk, 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 chunk. And then screaming. 
blood curdling. That ain't good. My wife was at the car, so I knew she could watch all the gear. So I ran, just ran instincts, just run to the screaming, see if there's anything I can do to help. It's the neighbor that lives next to the park. There's no fence. There's just a little grass knoll, little little rise there. Come up over the rise, and I see a man crawling across the ground on his belly with a 20-foot blood trail coming from behind him. Like something from a horror movie. Maybe it's your Gaba Gabagool castle, yeah. But this was real. Okay. So I, I run up to him and turn him on his side, and the, the top third of his foot is missing. Okay. You have got this crowd right where you want them. Let me tell you that. Right <laughs> out of the gate, gripping tail. So he's, he's legitimately chopped off a major portion of his foot. I, I'd estimate about a third. So all the toes gone. Gone. Uh, I can see blood spurting. I can see bone. I can see tendons. Um, and what kind of footwear? Are, are we talking like half a sneaker still left on the other half of the foot? I just really no. want to get this imagery nice and rich. Right. I don't know if that would be better or worse. He, he'd been wearing flip-flops. Come on. Come on. Come on. So one flip-flop left on the intact foot, and then I imagine the, the other flip-flop went flying. It was missing, yeah. yeah. It flopped off. Flipped off. Um, so... Uh, Grandma comes out on the porch, so it's like a two-story. We're like on the walkout underneath in the backyard, two-story, like the main story from up top. Grandma comes out screaming, and I'm like, hey, I need you to throw me a towel. I need to put pressure on it. They're spurting blood. Yeah. So she runs back in, throws me a dish towel, and I, said, I, I, I tell him, like, look, man, this is, this is going to hurt. You, now, you, you say, Grandma, this is his grandma? I assume so, based on okay. the age. I don't, I don't know this family. It's not someone you know. Great. No, yeah, I'm just clearing that up. Yeah. So you tell him this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. Wrap it up. Put pressure on it. He winces. Um, Sister, I assume, is out in the backyard at this point. She is... She is uh, worthless. She's just... (laughs) She's she's wandering around screaming. And so finally I'm like, can you call the police? (laughs) Can you call 911? Right. And... Let's say... If I can, let's just say she was worthless in terms of helping in that moment because she was clearly in some form of shock having witnessed who you assume was her own brother chop his foot off. Not she's like a worthless human being the other 364 days of the year. Sure. <laughs> oh, I'm, ki- I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm not making a value joke. She was worthless in the situation. Got so it. Got it. She calls 911, but also grandma calls 911. Yeah. Because I yelled it out to sister, but they both heard it and both did something. So that got confusing because they're both describing the same situation to probably a dispatcher sitting next to the same, you know, dispatcher. Yeah. So, uh, and then grandpa comes over and he wasn't very much help either. Uh, my wife gets over there after a while and uh, the, we can hear the sirens coming. And so I, and family was just, they were in shock and maybe it helped that I was, helped that I was not connected to this. So I, uh, I yelled at one of them, like, hey, go, go to the front yard and help meet the ambulance, help them, help them find their way back here. So paramedics get there. They, uh, they are, like, turning to me, like, hey, what's his name? I'm like, I, I don't know his name. Well, how old is he? Like, I don't know. I just, I just met him. And the family's not being very helpful still. So, and how old is like, this guy, can I ask? Yeah, I would assume he's, like, mid-20s, maybe Ooh. early 20s. Ooh. Not that there's any good age to chop your foot off. Yeah, what's his whole that? life ahead of him? <laughs> yeah, if he was seventy, I wouldn't have felt we'd, so. Bad. You know, we'd all still be like, "Oh, that sucks." Well, we'd be like, "Yeah, okay, you know, you can limp through the last <laughs> years." You know, <laughs> right? Obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll wrap it up. I don't want to focus on the gore, but like. They, I, 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 once they're working on him, they unwrap his foot and start injecting him with pain meds because he was just in a lot of pain, a lot of exposed yeah. nerves. I just went to holding his hand because his family was just in shock. They were literally like wandering the backyard like zombies. Grandma's still up top. Sister's wandering around. Grandpa's not doing anything helpful. Um, so I'm just holding his hand and just like, hey, man, squeeze my hand as hard as you want. And just like, just tried to be present for him, just talking to him while the EMTs or paramedics do their work. And uh, 
And then my wife came over and was like, is there anything I can do to help? And I, I, I'm trying to think like, hey, maybe, maybe there's something that can be saved. So I turned to her and I was like, babe, I need you, I need you to go find the toes. You, you need to take a breath after a babe. I need you to go find the toes. Be right back after our ads. Stay tuned. Beautiful Anonymous is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Thanks so much to all our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call. Babe, I need you... I need you to go find the toes. Yeah, how did she respond to that? She's a very queasy kind of person, but I just, you know, I think she stepped up and was like, okay, I'm going to go find the toes. And so she went to the grandpa and was like, hey, do you have like a, do you have like a Ziploc that I can have? And uh, they together, they went around and, and grandpa ended up doing it. They went around and like, you know how you, you pick up dog poop, you put your hand in the bag inside out and pick it up. They did that with all the fleshy bits they could find. And uh, I don't know if that was helpful or not. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, they load them up. They actually knocked them out there. They like gave, they injected them with something to knock of them out because some pain meds were being enough. And then they carried him away in the family. They're like, what hospital are you taking him to? And like, so they, they just left. The whole family's like, thank you. Bye. All the emergency personnel leave. And it's just me and my wife left in the backyard. And there's like gauze wrappers and like, <laughs> like not needles, but like, uh, you know, just all the trash from like all the paramedics just all over the backyard. So we like picked it all up and found a little trash can on the side of the house, threw it all away. And, uh, and then we left, and I have no idea what happened since. What? That's what kills me. That's what kills me about this story is I don't know how it ended. How long ago was this? Three or four years ago. And there's no article in the paper. There's no, no part of you that ever followed up. I, I have to say, uh, I'm certain that the, they don't want to relive the horror, but I'd imagine this family has talked about you for the past four years. There's a, that means there's a family out there going... Who was that guy who appeared out of nowhere, told the rest of us what to do, got 911 there, stopped the bleeding until the paramedic? Like, they've wondered about you for four years. They would love a knock on their door, I imagine. I've wondered about them for four years, but part of it, are you familiar with like the J.J. Abrams, like the mystery box concept? Uh, no. Talk me through this. I don't, I don't know what very specifically, like he talks about like this toy thing he got sent as a kid and it was the mystery box. And he said the idea of the mystery box was way better than whatever he opened up right. inside the box every time. Because, you know, once he opens it, it's like, oh, okay, it's a little toy or a little uh, project, you know, craft project or whatever. He said the, the ultimate mystery box is the mystery itself, you know, like never, never knowing. And that's, I don't know. I wonder. So they live near my cousin's house. This is like... This house is near my cousin's house. So every time I'm out there, I'm like, should I dry, should I knock on that door and just say, hey, I was the guy. How is he? Did the did the toes help? <laughs> um, that, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you don't. Not only do you not know how he's doing, you don't even know if your wife had to pick up a bag of toes for no reason. That's, yeah. So I should find out for her sake, is what you're saying. I just feel like that family would probably love a, to get a thank you in. That's my, that's my guess. Here's what we got. We got um, Jess is saying, knock, bro. Um, <laughs> Jenna suggests you reconnect at an IHOP. I'm not, she says, it just feels right. Eat sausage links, maybe, which is too much, Jenna. <laughs> too much, Jenna. Um, too much. So, so, but I don't want it to be about me, right? Like, I just want to know if he's okay, like what quality of life he has. It, it, it would make me a little uncomfortable if it became like, hey, we want to thank you. So, like, that's, that's not what it's about for me. Mm-hmm. 
So that's that's another reason why I haven't knocked is because I don't want them to have a face to it. I just want it to be like, hey, we got the help we needed and we need it. And we can trust that anytime something happens, somebody somebody will come. I like I like that idea. So you almost feel like there's um I don't want to say ethical, but there's almost there's almost something for you that feels important in the sense of I don't want credit for it. I, I want people to assume that strangers will help in times of need, and maybe me knocking on the door would change that too. That speaks I think very. That's a big picture. Yeah. That speaks very well of you. Who are who are you, hero? <laughs> Just some. Okay. Do you have any training? Are you like an EMT or or a combat? No, member? not. No, not at all. No. How um, did you not flip just, the fuck out? I was just in the right place at the right time. I think it helped that I wasn't involved. You know, I wasn't the sister. I'm sorry for if she ever hears this calling you worthless. <laughs> you were in shock. Imagine uh, if she's like, I've wondered forever what happened to that guy. And then I find this podcast. He's calling me worthless. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so who am I? What do you want to know? I can I can be uh, I can be open. I don't I don't think it's a reach to say that. uh you know, you and I, first of all, you and I have found some laughs along the way as you tell this story, but it's a gruesome thing that happened. You ran in there and did something that I think a lot of us would say not everyone's capable of doing. Not everybody hears the screaming and has the instinct to run over. Not everybody has the wherewithal to not pass out when they see that. Not everybody... Um, goes into a mode where they start telling other people, I need this from you, I need you to get me this and that, I need you to call this person, get out Frank. It's just very eye-opening. Is that something you knew you had in you, or was it in that moment that you found out that that was a part of you? That's a great question. I think uh, I think it's I think it's innate. I don't think I just, like, situations like that don't panic me. You know the, the, the four Fs fight, flight, freeze, and I've heard a fourth one recently. I don't know if this is like uh, clinical or not, fawn is like a sort of trauma response. If you like fawn to the person that's creating the trauma or something, I don't know. Don't quote me on fawn. Fight, I, fight, freeze. I've heard fight or flight, but I, I didn't know they'd expanded it till four. I didn't I, know I, they'd blown I, that one out. I read that recently. I, I don't even know where. Wait, um, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I think about those. Yeah, because I had a situation. Okay, here's an. I can tell you about a freeze moment. Okay. I uh, <laughs> was in the this. I, I'm the butt of this joke. I was in a in a hallway at a local university uh, doing some work uh, for my profession, and uh, there was a there was a display case, and it had a bunch of uh, plastic balls in it, like the foam, like the ball pit, like at the McDonald's or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it was, filled, but I noticed that there was no lock on the display case. <laughs> And it's just in this hallway and there's like hundreds of people around. I was like, wouldn't it be funny if I just slid the glass open and all the balls came falling out? That'd be funny, right? Classic prank, yeah. And uh, I and I was I said it to a friend that I was there with, one of my colleagues. And so I slid it open like an inch, like to like make him think I was gonna do it. And the entire pane of glass popped out of its frame and slammed slammed down onto my foot and broke, like shattered. But it didn't shatter in one piece. It broke, and like the bottom foot is like five and a half feet tall, like two or two and a half feet wide. The bottom foot and a half broke and shattered, and then it fell again. And then that part hit my foot and then broke and shattered. And then that part fell. So it fell. It crashed for like ten seconds, and I'm in front of like sixty people in this hallway. Is there also and a I, cascade of ball pit balls joining? And then all the balls fall out of the display case all over the hallway. So. I was so embarrassed. I just froze and I ended up like I caught the pain, like tried to catch it as it kept going down. And I, the whole thing ended with me holding like a one by one piece of glass um, and just freezing because I was so embarrassed. Did uh, you get cut up at all from that? Uh, I, I caught the two edges that were still intact. So I, I was okay. But And your foot, your, there was just glass shattering over and over again on your foot and no cut. No cut. It, uh, and then years later, you see a guy chop off his own foot. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even realize those stories had a little connection. I wasn't. Yeah, it's a full about. circle moment right there. That's why they <laughs> pay me the big bucks to go. Hey, f- a lot of Thank feet you, in your stories. A lot of Thanks. feet and cuts. Yeah, 
Thanks for bringing that together. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Closing that circle. When you sell the screenplay rights now, there you can have that as like <laughs> a, come, one of those come to God moments where the character realizes it's like Final Destination, but just for feet. That's your life. <laughs> a foot will get chopped off. It was meant to happen in that hallway. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was a freeze moment. I don't. So maybe maybe we all have moments where we run to the danger and some when we mm-hmm. fall to the ground. I've had both. Know. I've had both for sure. Yeah. Have you had a, had, what's, what's a moment when you've done both? Well, I don't think I've talked about this on the show. Probably the scariest moment in my entire life. This is one of the most twisted things I ever saw. And it's not a cool story. So everybody buckle up. But I was, this was many, many years ago. That's probably 12 or 13 years ago. I was going to see a movie. This was when I lived in New York. I was with my girlfriend at the time. And um, I forget the name of the movie, but it was like, actually, my friend Corey, who's here tonight, we, we were both early adopters of mixed martial arts. Before all the meatheads were watching it, and you had to be like a pro wrestling nerd finding weird Japanese tapes. And there was this MMA movie that was out, and I was trying, trying to go see it called Warrior or something. And we were running late, me and my girlfriend. So we were like hustling up 8th Avenue, towards 23rd Street where the theater was. And um, I was kind of like doing the New Yorker thing where you're just like walking really fast on the sidewalk and you're in your own zone. You're not really paying attention. And all of a sudden I just heard somebody going like, hey, stop, hey. And I look up and in front of me, there's this guy and there there were two things I noticed right away. He was really, really big and broad-shouldered, tall guy. Not muscular, but just a tall, broad guy. And he had on a little string backpack, which, like, right away, I was like, that's weird. Then, most most importantly, though, he, and this is not cool at all, and I'm not, this is not a thing I'm, I'm trying to bring up for less, he was dragging a woman up 8th Avenue in New York by her hair. And uh, it was really nuts. And everybody around, it was, a, it was like dinner time in the summer on 8th Avenue. If you know that section of New York, I'm talking about, that's the heart of Chelsea. That's like, there's restaurants, there's outdoor seating, even back then. And um, I just took off running towards him. And it wasn't a conscious thing. And I went to reach up. And this guy was significant. I'm five foot seven, five foot eight, maybe, when I'm not slouching. And this guy was bigger. He was, he was well over six feet. And I went to reach towards him. And I never forgot this moment where as I was reaching up towards him, I just heard, like, finally my brain caught up to what I was doing. And I heard myself think, this might not end well for you. I heard myself think that to myself, like, warn myself, because... Uh, I, I just, I was like, all I knew was like, if this guy's doing that to this woman, like he's going to have no qualms being violent to me. This is, this is insane. So I grabbed him by his shoulder and he spun around and right away I could see that he was cross-eyed drunk. And it was, like I said, like dinner time and he was blacked out and uh, he just turned around and he, he dropped this woman and he just started like staring at me with these eyes where it's like, you know, when you deal with someone who's so drunk where you can tell this person's not even in there right now. Like there's not even a human in there right now. And I just looked at him and I went, you can't do that, man. What do you, what do you, you can't do that. Like you can't do that. And I just kept repeating that. And he was like starting to like flex and kind of show me his size in a way where I was like, this is bad. And then all of a sudden he shrunk and he turned off and ran away. And um, he ran like down, I think it was like 21st Street. And I'll tell you what happened was a bunch of workers in a restaurant on 8th Avenue saw what was happening. And uh, it it was uh, probably six or seven guys working in this restaurant came pouring out. And they were all, you know, not not to paint anybody with a stereotypical brush, but this was just like a kitchen full of Mexican workers put down their tools and came running out. And I'll tell you, like, Anthony Bourdain has this famous quote about, like, if you've ever eaten at a restaurant in New York City, then you have, you have, then illegal immigrants have been a part of your life and you need to shape up how you view people and humans. And I was like, those guys, there were all these people standing there watching and then those guys came out of fucking nowhere and chased that dude off. And thank God, because I was about to get my ass beat by a maniac. And, uh, 
I always forget. I, oh, I always, always remember that aspect of the story. And then, yeah, the guy took off, and me and my girlfriend sat with the woman. The police came. She wouldn't press charges. And uh, she told us she was staying at a hotel. I remember exactly where. It was in New Jersey. I was like, why are you staying in Sea Caucus, New Jersey? And she eventually got in a cab and was like, I'm just going to go back to the hotel. And we were like, but he's going to be there. And I have Googled her name since, and I've never figured out what happened. So that was one of the good ones where I stepped up. And then living well, in New York City, there's been, I don't know, roughly 80,000 times where I've seen a human horror show unfolding on the street, and I've done nothing about it. Just the other night, I was in Penn Station. I lived back in Jersey now. I was like going back to catch a train back to New Jersey, and it was freezing cold. And this guy comes up to me. I was in a, a deli inside Penn Station buying a bag of chips. He's like, can you buy me some coffee? And I was like, oh, sorry, man. And then I walked away. I was like, why couldn't I just buy that guy coffee? Why? Why is my instinct just, no, sorry, no, go away? That's happened 100,000 times, but I've got a few in there where I did the right thing. I love that moment you described when you your hands going out and your brain saying this is a bad idea. And I think it's those moments that it's, it's probably important to do it anyways, even if it's a bad idea. Well, I you, were, you were one of the only people in a position to do something right in that moment. And I think that matters. I feel like, well, the scary part, and I think the thing that you're speaking to as well is like, there were actually so many people watching it who just instantly went into shock and couldn't do anything. And I'm not judging those people. I was just one, I was just the one who my bodies told me to go. My body was like, run, go do something. And everybody else froze. And I've been in the situations where you freeze as well. And it's that weird thing where you realize, like, we all think that there's rules and we all think that society is built in a way where things are going to function. And then the more you shrink it down and, you know, look at it on like a moment by moment level, the only reason it still functions is because of us, right? It's because of the actions that we take in those moments. And, you know, there's been other times where I've frozen and watched someone else step up that day. And I'm sure you have as well. And you sit here, you go, oh, they tell us that there's like police and EMTs and firefighters and politicians and infrastructure and all this stuff built to help us. But really, the end of the day, none of that stuff gets there quicker than you sometimes. And what a scary moment, right? What a scary thing to realize. The only reason we all make it through the day is because we all look out for each other. Yeah. I'm not I'm not a Trekkie per se, but there's a quote from there that says, "Oh, bad, bad or good for the crowd." It's hard to read from here. Um, it broke the tension. None of us were expecting to, you to say Trekkie as you and I started philosophizing on the necessity of humans helping one another on a basic grassroots level. Nobody expected you to go like so. Anyway, Spock said like that wasn't that wasn't on any of our radar. Well, I'm just acknowledging I don't even know who said it, but. It's from Star Trek. Um, there's a quote from one of the characters that says, I don't know what I should do. I only know what I can do. Boom. And I, that that's speaking to what you're, we're speaking about here is like, you, you do what you can. And uh, maybe, maybe there is no right or wrong or should in some of these tense situations. But it's one person standing up. It's one person taking a stand, intervening saying something that can make all the difference. And you said, like, like you said, it makes the world go around. It's a beautiful thought. I'm going to tell you something about me. I've been misspelling my own hashtag this whole time. <laughs> There's been a lot more people using the hashtag than I knew. And someone just told me, Chris, you misspelled the hashtag. So I clicked over and I'm checking the right one. People are blown away. Um, curious watcher says, safe to say this guy isn't playing in the World Cup tomorrow, referring to the lawnmower guy. Woof. Um, oh, this guy Jack here is the guy who I talked to last time who has watched, um, watched the Gimbal stuff in the castle. That's all. Um, all right. All right. Someone saying the main takeaway of the story so far, don't wear flip-flops. I'm not a fan of flip-flops either myself. Um, anyway, so many other people here watching and then participating. Um, caller, I like you. What else do I need to know about you? We know you were a hero once. Oof. We know you I'm keep equipment in your car. <laughs> you interview people. What I, else? I have something that's near and dear to my heart I can share. Sure. I, uh, I'm in my mid-30s. 
I have a lot of nostalgia for like tight social net groups that you're kind of, uh, I'm blabbing. Let me, let me back up. I have hit a stage in my life where I'm realizing it's harder and harder to stay connected to friends and acquaintances. And I was looking for a vehicle to do that in a deep, meaningful way. And, uh, what I've landed on through inspiration of friends and some, uh, some examples out there is I've, I've started leading a yearly, I call it an adventure trip, adventure road trip. Um, I have a list of people that I admire, or like some of them are friends. Some of them are acquaintances. Some of them, it's probably like a social faux pas to actually invite them to something like this. But it's like, it's people like, I wish that I could spend deep, meaningful time with, um, people from all walks of life. And somebody, you know, if anyone, anyone in my life that's impressed me, you're like, I want to spend more time with that person. They go on this list. There's like 136 people on this list. I send out an email every summer and it keeps getting bigger every year. Send out an email what? and say, Hey, you're invited. These are the dates. I'm going camping for five days. I would love it if you would join me. Well, this is getting interesting. You can hear more about this project. And it goes in a lot of directions you're not going to expect when we get back. Thanks again to our advertisers who helped make this show happen. Now let's finish off the phone call. You're invited. These are the dates. I'm going camping for five days. I would love it if you would join me. You send it out to all 136 people? Oh, yeah, the response rate is super poor. Who wants to go camping for five days? <laughs> and, you know, 12 people say yes, and then on the day of, six people show up. So it's just, like, it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But I, I've done this three times now. I've had about seven to ten people on each trip. And I don't tell them where we're going. They don't know. So they just meet you. I tell them. I tell them we're meeting at my house at this time. We'll be back Sunday night at this time. Are you in? And almost universally they say, nah. (laughs) And that's how I know who my real friends are. Well, let me ask you, too. So you say you've got, like, you know, six to ten who say yes every year. Has it been in the, you said three times you've done it? Is it the same group of six to ten? It, uh, new people surprise me every year. We've had a couple repeats, but not many. And they don't know each other. No, that's the gorgeous thing about it is like, there's all these people I know from different aspects, walks of my life. And I get to put them, put them all together, go out in the woods with them for five days. What are you fucking Willy Wonka? What are you doing? Get a bunch of strangers together and go on adventures? I love it. And it's been so, so like, first of all, I get to reconnect with nature. Like, I think I grew up as a Boy Scout. Like, I loved, like, I went camping a lot. And then, like, it got into my adult life and kind of stopped doing that. So that's been a reconnection for me. Plus, like, we cook all our meals together. Uh, we And it's it's a road trip. So it's every night we camp in a different spot. We don't just go to a campsite and hang out for five days. Do you rent so an like, RV or something? Uh, just a caravan and a couple cars. I, okay. I take my truck. We take a couple cars. And, and uh so that's great because we're like seeing all these new places, you know, waking up in a new place every morning and uh, we get to just have this deep time together. And every morning we take 30 minutes to, to go out and meditate. So we get some alone time. Cause that's like, I think I get overwhelmed. You know, I, it's, it's interesting, like spending all this time with people, you need a minute to recharge. So we get to go out by ourselves. You know, I pick a nice spot. Like, Hey, go spread out. Let's go, go reconnect with ourselves for a little bit. And then come back together and drive to the next spot and do some more adventures. So that's been, I don't know, does anybody want to steal that idea for me? It's free. Um, if you have friends that would sign up for a mystery five-day road trip, uh, be my guest. It's, it's, been a, it's been a really special thing. I've been able to connect with some cool people and have some meaningful talks. I love it. Bike, I have questions. Bike. Yeah, go for question. it. So is it... And I'm not asking to imply in any way that you are sexist, but is it all dudes on the list? Because oh, absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because my question is, if you have like nine guys that show up and all these people don't know each other, and then one lady walks, I could imagine that being a long 
five days for her. Has that happened? It has not. It's been roughly equal numbers. Okay. Okay. That speaks well to your 136-person mailing list. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Now, um, are, there people, are there people showing up who have known you for many years? Are there people showing up who you like met at a bar one night and you're like, let me get your email address. You seem interesting. What's the level of casual to, no, this is an old college friend I lost touch with and we, I really want to reconnect? Yeah, one of the one of the girls that came on the last one, we'd only met twice. Oh, wow. Uh, some of well, one's a friend since I was in the ninth grade, so it's it's a mix. But I, I hope, and I, I send out I send out um, a one page letter explaining like the philosophy behind it and like what I'm trying to do because I'm trying to like like I know that's a weird email to receive, especially for like someone I've only worked with once or met once, and so I try to like lay out like why I'm doing this and the purposes for it. And invite them into that realm with me and see, like, is if this is a shared goal, because not everyone likes the outdoors, not everyone likes camping, not everyone can take five days off of work. But if this is something that speaks to them, I hope they'll come come join me on it. And so send that out, I think, with, like, the right, the right intentions there, yeah. that it's turned into something really beautiful. Can I, can I be totally honest in my reaction? Of, of course. On the one hand, I'm like, this is the coolest thing in the world, and more people should be doing things like this getting small groups of people together and encouraging them to really connect, put down the phones, not just build our communities in virtual ways that don't really give us what we need, but to rebuild these connected communities through shared activities in real life, one-on-one, eye contact. I'm like, this is what the world needs. That's the type of healing that I think is going to take us away from some of the dark turns of modern times. On the other hand, you're sending out this letter with like this uh, statement of your like mentality and intent where it sounds to me like you are also maybe two steps away from being a cult leader. There's still time. You got to build up to it. Still time uh, for what? That doesn't totally address still time Don't. to firmly nail it down as a cult leader. Or Don't tell had to start somewhere. I'm being, sar- I'm being sarcastic. You can't see my face. I'm, I'm teasing you. Uh, okay, so let's pull the audience. If you got this email from someone you trusted, how many of you would go if you could? I will say, okay, big chunk of people saying they would. How many people would go, this person seems like a cult leader and I feel uncomfortable? It seems almost like equal numbers, but more enthusiasm from the wary cult people we're getting some reactions to this um curious watchers saying this field trip reminds me of a black mirror episode <laughs> where a group of friends did the same and they all ended up becoming werewolves or something like that sign me up graham says every camping trip should include a mission statement emily says is this the part where we heckle him and i like that Sarah Marie says, have you always been someone who would ask 136 people to go camping with you? Or is that something that came later in life? <laughs> I, I have always been that person. I think, uh, you, you remember when flash mobs were a thing? I did flash mobs. I organized flash mobs. I always knew those fucking guys were cult leaders. <laughs> All those flash mobs. I kept my eye on those, man. Um, oh, someone wants to know, inherently unfranchisable, asking a great question. Do you send out feedback forms afterwards? <laughs> I think it's a great question. If you're sending out like a letter of intent beforehand, do you do a follow-up? I, I do send a survey. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it, unfranchisable. Whoa. I, this isn't feeling less anonymous. I feel like you got me pinned down. I'll say, though, oh. like... This sounds like the type of thing where maybe somebody gets this letter about this camping trip and then six months later they get a letter that's like, hey, so uh, you want to come live on a farm that a rich widow bought me? Like you got, that sounds like the next step in this process. So I have a question. Do you want to come next year? It's part of me that really does. I'll, I'll get your email, and then you can be one of the 126 that don't come. Well, how do we invite all these people here in North Carolina, too? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe I should... Well, that's, oh, yeah. It's, it's, 
I'm not commercializing this. No, it's it's been hard. This this is such a sacrifice. I actually do a full scouting trip. So I take one friend and do the full route and find the camping spots and validate. Like I do tons of internet research and I validate all the spots I want to visit by going there and seeing is it worth it or not? Is the juice worth the squeeze? And then uh, so it takes you know four or five days to run that trip, the scout, and yeah. then I do it do it for real. So it's a it's a huge time investment, but it's feeding my soul sometimes. I worry about the intention of it because I want it to be this place to connect. But if I'm being honest, it's selfish. Like I want to go hang out with these people. So it feels a little little tinged by that. And that's the one thing that I haven't been able to wrestle with yet is like, is that okay? I think it is. I'll tell you what, in all seriousness, and this is something I haven't opened up about too publicly. um, As I get older, I'm also finding, I think that part of it was that I've definitely been a workaholic. Part of it is I've lived a little bit of a strange life of my own choosing. But I definitely feel like my friendships have waned in later years as we all get older and busier, and especially since I had a kid. I bet there's other parents in the room right now who know exactly what I'm talking about. That when you have a kid, all of a sudden you're like, oh, half your friends just never fucking talk to you anymore. Like, there's friends who don't have kids who are like, it's not my thing. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to have to ask you about it. I have a friend who I considered one of my best friends who's never met my son. He's three and a half years old. I'm like, holy shit, man. Like, you were someone I, I, I let in. You were someone I was close with. Like, I have friends who I knew through work stuff who just never ask me how my son's doing, who just never... And I'm just like, man... A lot of these friendships were way more tenuous than I thought. And I also am not the best. There's been so many times where I've just been like, I got to go like attack career stuff and make money. And I work in this field where if you're not trying to go get it, you're not going to get it. And I go, oh, and I did a piss poor job at maintaining friendships. So that feeling of getting older and lonelier and, and needing to do something sort of extreme to foster those feelings and to push the reset button in a hard way, I totally get why you're doing what you're doing. I see it. And I, I, and I think that that is societal. And I think there's a lot of people feeling that way. And I think it ties into why there's so many people who maybe hit a phase of life where things get a little lonelier or a little more grim and they don't know how to handle it. And then I'm not even trying to make a joke here. It's like the next thing you know you're fucking storming the Capitol because you needed some group of people that would accept you. And now you're just like, what the fuck, guys? What are we with? The guy with the horns? We're all following the guy with the fucking horns? Like, I really do think there's a mass loneliness right now um, fueled by some combination of, like, the baby boomer values teaching us all, like, you just work till you die. And us all being like, no, I, I don't want to. And then also all of us spending so much time on Instagram. I think those things combine into this loneliness that we haven't totally diagnosed as a culture yet. And I do kind of like the idea of meeting up with a bunch of strangers and driving around the country for five days. I really do. And that's where this was coming from was like this sense of like, man, my connections seem like they're falling apart. They're not as tight. And maybe this will rekindle some of them or, or forge some new ones or be a, be a vehicle where we can make some lasting connections and memories and it's been that and we make a, i make a little uh roundup video so that goes in the invite list as well like hey this is what it looked like last year so you're not totally surprised but every year i go completely somewhere new because uh, i want the variety and, has there uh, ever been anyone who turned around at the end of it and was like yeah that was not my thing and i was pretty miserable the whole time and then you feel guilty i'd feel so much stress getting a group of people who they all know me but they don't know each other and then i'm responsible for their having a good time for five days I just feel so much stress. Isn't that kind of exciting though? Like no. you see if it works or not? No, Maybe. that's my social anxiety oh, nightmare. Oh man, I love it. I love, I love bringing people like I love and think are interesting together and then seeing how they interact. Cause I, I'd hope I mean, it's, it's gone well. I want it to go well. It sounds I like a foster awesome environment thing. where it can. Being at a party where I'm the only one everyone knows. I'm like, Oh, that's, I, I put a fucking. Oh, I love that. And I just, love like that's, I hate You get that to feeling. connect with every single person there and like in, make help Someone did just speak. yell, you're doing that right now. <laughs> Shit, this, believe me. 15 years of therapy trying to sort out how those things go together. Believe me. Believe me. 
but I, I love I, so one example, one fun one fun anecdote was on night two. This was the first year I did it. Night two, we drove. We we did a lot of exploring during the day, and we drove. I was like, hey, our campsite's kind of far away, so we're going to drive through the you know into the night a little bit. So. Multiple hours after it got dark, we were driving. We get to the campsite. I'm like, hey, guys, around here, there's, like, lots of cliffs. So, like, don't wander off too far. Just be careful. And, uh, but as everyone woke up in the morning, I was able to, like, go over there. Because, you know, someone's brushing their teeth. They're starting to get out of sleep. I just go over and, like, hey, go go walk over there. Go look. And I had taken them without them knowing, because we'd driven in a way that none of them expected, to the edge of the Grand Canyon. And we woke up on the rim of the Grand Canyon on the north side. And some of them I found out because I couldn't ask them. Some of them had never been to the Grand Canyon. Their first experience was waking up at sunrise to experience it for the first time. So that was pretty magical. Damn, dude. Saving feet, saving souls. I'm just trying to save myself. Well, that's another thing, too. You said that there's a selfish aspect to it. But I would say this. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with being selfish when you act on that selfish impulse and that selfish need in the way you are. It, you know, for you to sit here and go like, I feel bad because it's kind of something I need. It's like, well, a lot of people when they go, I need something, they start like wrecking their own lives or wrecking their families, right? Or they start like, I'm going to go to a casino four nights a week because I'm chasing this feeling that I don't have. And instead you're going, let me get a dozen strangers together and see if we can all experience beautiful things together. I think a selfish need is a fine thing to act upon when you explode it and, and expand it into something that's group driven and, and giving to others. I don't think you need to feel guilty about that for a second. There are people having some big reactions to your um, your 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 ways here, Bill. I, I want to hear those. Can I just really quickly say my presumption was that I wasn't the only one feeling that way, and that maybe this could be soul soothing for others. And it, it's self selecting. I figure like I'm sending this to all the people I admire. Yeah, people that don't want to come won't come. The people that do will, and that's that's how it'll shake out. So sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I'm gonna just get, to get, that, get that idea across. Andrea's gonna save your contact info. I want to be on this invite list. I want. I will to- send you. I will send you an invite, and I hope you come. Sure, but then, but then I'm like, and then eight months later, you telling me, "Hey, I need ten thousand dollars, and you're not allowed to have sex with your own wife anymore." Like, is it, <laughs> at what point? But here, and I now put on this robe, and also there's a comet coming. We're gonna worship it. Uh, hey, man, I said it was self-selecting. If that's what you're into. <laughs> Bill points out uh, towards me, I believe, isn't mixing a bunch of different strangers the recipe for a good party? Yep, you're probably right. You're, it sounds like you're an extrovert. Um, <laughs> Jenna says the fact he scouts the locations does give me serial killer vibes. Um, oh, Anne says, does anyone ever ask to bring a partner or friend or kid? And what do you say? I had, <clears throat> I let everybody have a plus one. That helps them feel more comfortable. You know, somebody that does have a little social anxiety or, you know, is worried about the social aspect of it. Everybody gets a plus one. Um, I also make it kid free just because we are moving so fast and trying to be like a little bit more on the adventuresome side. Okay. So okay. I did have someone ask, they, they're like, Oh, we go hiking with our kid all the time. I just had to like blanket say no. Cause it, it would get messy if I was making exceptions for one person, not everybody else, but kid free um, and a plus one. Um, someone's asking, do people have to sign a waiver? And I was asking, <laughs> no. Do people have to sign a waiver? They probably should. It's, no, it's not that formal, and I wouldn't say it's that adventurous. We're not. I haven't. I'd love to like incorporate some like rappelling or uh, like can you know? We did some canyoneering that was actually pretty dangerous on the second year, and even gave me some anxiety through some of the tight spots we had to squeeze through in the slot canyon. But uh, it's generally like I I tailor the uh, options so that anyone on the trip can do it. And that's why I go on the scout, not because I'm a serial killer, because I need to know what all the options are so that whoever shows up at my house on the day, I can actually like make the determination, like, should we do this hike or this hike based on who's there? Oh, and based on your sense of their, of their comfort level and physical capabilities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And inherently unfranchisable uh, coming through with another great one. Does the caller have a favorite cult leader? You a Manson guy? You like the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh? Who do you like? I like... Chris. Me? What is this, if not a cult? You did certainly turn that one around me on me. Really succinctly and accurately. I mean, I've been accused... Believe me, for as much fun as I'm having telling you you sound like a cult leader... 
Anyone who's followed my career knows I, I, I've treaded that line for years. And had, and, but I'll tell you what, did have to say, take a big step back. That's not what you want, dude. Like, there, was a, there was a stretch in my life where I was, had a cult fan base to the degree that it was becoming an actual cult. And I was like, I think that's cool. dangerous. Not everyone makes that decision. Some people lean into that. Why do you lean out? Well, because, I mean, you don't know anything about me, and a friend just told you to text me, but between this show and my old public access show, I talked a lot about feeling like a fucked up person and a loser and sorting stuff out. And then I did an HBO special about a suicide attempt and mental health difficulties. And what I found was that a lot of people attracted to my work, and I say this with great love to anybody who bought a ticket tonight, are people who maybe identify with those problems or at least feel empathy towards those problems. But when you are talking about your own mental instability and unwellness, you tend to maybe attract people who also feel that. And I realized um, inherently people who support my work, um, there is a portion of them who are mentally vulnerable, and that can take on many different types of forms, but that vulnerability is something that it's my responsibility to respect and to draw some boundaries on. And uh, I realized, like, oh, you can fan the flames of the cult thing, and I've seen a lot of entertainers do that. Um, but for me, it just almost felt like exploitation. And I actually feel like the past few years, I've been a little more closed off, and people have heard me share a little bit less about myself and my life in my work. And, and some of that's that I had a kid and I, I don't want to drag someone else into be me, me being the guy who's so public. Some of that is also realizing I need to take a step back because there needs to be some boundaries, not just for my wellness, but because I've met enough people who like my stuff who I think would be very vulnerable to suggestion and things like that. And you got to have some responsibility as an artist or else you're just a dickhead, I think. I'm not a hero for saying that. There's no need to clap. I appreciate the one person who tried, though. That was, that was me. <laughs> Imagine if you were just crouching in the corner of the room. If we just all turned around and there was some, some guy and he sprinted out the door right now. That would be amazing. It was me. He was but, but in all seriousness, I like that sense of it. And yeah, you have, you have a lot of responsibility with the influence that you have. So that's, that's cool that you take it seriously. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, I, think, I think we all have to take care of each other, and I think that starts on a very, it, almost in the same way we were talking about before, like when bad situations happen on any random city block, you got to trust there's going to be one or two people who have the instinct to actually get in there and sort it out, and if, if one or two people always do, then we all stay safe. I almost feel like it's the same thing, of like you got to take care of the people who are right in front of you, and you got to think hard about the responsibility you have to them. Anyway... How much more time do we have? Let's see. Let's see. Great question. I got to say, for a guy who's never even heard this show. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know I how long we're going. We got 11 more minutes. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, any, more, any more questions about this? Uh, this is the internet mob mentality of like, oh, this guy did something nice for his friends. He must be a cult leader. So any, any more... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is a cynical. I'll tell you what. I want to admit it, though. It was a cynical and negative reaction. I think worth flagging and discussing. But I'll also say, like I, one of my main impulses, all cult leader jokes aside, I do love it. And done responsibly, like I said, it's the type of thing we need more of. And it's, it sounds almost like radically rejecting this idea that we're going to connect with people through these ways that don't actually connect us, which we all spend so much time on our phones trying to do every day. It's like you could put up a TikTok video and sit there and go, how many likes did it get? It's not going to get you nearly as much as waking up next to the Grand Canyon with a stranger you met three days ago and going, holy shit, we're actually living life and it's real and it's right in front of us. So let me just say on record, I don't get the sense you're a cult leader and I think what you're doing is beautiful. Thank you. And I'm teasing. If, if that's... If that's... If that's hazing, I can take it. Um, but yeah, it, it, there, there's that intention there. And uh, oh man, I was going to say something about that. Totally forgot. Oh, to to help you help reinforce the cult crowd. I I know I'm digging my grave here. I do invite people to turn off their phones the whole time. Good. Nobody's mad about that. Oh, because you know, so they can't contact their families. <laughs> Specific, you tell them specifically for that reason? Not no, like, I'm, I'm not like I want that. us no. to stay present and in the moment, but just specifically, like, you will not text anyone for help. 
Well, yeah, I'm teasing about, you know, yeah, just to stay present. I have a satellite phone. So if we, you know, we go a lot of places that don't even have service, but if we, if we had a problem, we could uh, call for help. But yeah, I do invite people like check out of the digital world and check into this experience. And that, I think that makes it really powerful. And do you, do you charge people for this? I, it's like, I, I say whatever it's going to cost me, you know, for fuel, we share fuel, you know, among all the, you know, fuel costs and food. And it's like 30, $35 a day. I try to make it like really affordable so that it's, it's just cost. I'm not trying to make money on this. I'm you just, just want the fun. conversations. You just want yeah. to see people experience stuff and you want to sit back yeah. and go, that's a feeling I know well too. You want to see someone wake up next to the Grand Canyon and you want to be 15 feet away from them and go, I get to see this person witness something beautiful for the first time and that's going to keep me going all year long. Yeah. Damn, dude. Can, can, I, can I share a story, a lesson I've learned recently about love? No. All right. Next question then. No, of course. All right. This this is a story about a cat. I uh, was trying to catch a rat in my backyard because there was a rat problem. And all I had was one of those like, you know, raccoon sized trap cages. And we inevitably catch some of the neighborhood cats in there. Um, it never worked on the rats. So hot tip. Don't try that. So I would... You know, the, the cat's been outside overnight, feel bad for it, bring it inside the garage, give it some food and water, let it go back to where it goes. Third cat, on the third cat with that, uh, it, was a, it was a completely feral wild cat, and I didn't know that. So I let it out in the garage, and it immediately just starts zooming around the room, trying to get out the window, climbed up on this uh, shelf in there, and then found a hole in the construction and went down into my attic. And it stayed, so I put food and water out for it and a webcam and it didn't come out for 24 hours. Like it didn't eat, didn't drink. And it's like October. This was two years ago. Um, so it was like hot. It's still like, it's, you know, it's like probably like 70 degrees in the daytime. So it's probably 90, hundred degrees up there. And I'm like, this cat's going to die in my attic and it doesn't deserve that. Plus it'll smell and I got to get it out. So me and a friend went up there First, I went in with like two pairs of garden gloves and it's hiding. I finally, it took an hour of searching up there and I, I finally find it. It's hiding in the eaves and went in there. My shoulders barely fit in between the, the uh, support beams. I don't know how construction works. Um, so I've reached my arms out and tried to grab it and it bites through my gloves. I got all these bites on my hands. It doesn't want to come out. And uh, long, so I, I throw on my beekeeping gloves. I got lamb gloves and three, three layers. Go back in there. It bites through all three layers of gloves. I pull it out anyways. I have this all on video because I had a GoPro and thought it'd be interesting to capture. So I pull it out, throw it in a bucket, bring it inside. And I'm like, now what do we do with it? After all that, I decided let's make it a house cat. I don't own any cats. My wife's never owned any pets. And I was like, I bet we can like socialize it. So I start trying and I try and fail and try and fail and try and fail. And it's... It's been like two months now, no progress. It still just hits me, hisses at me, um, tries to bite me. And then I, then I started doing internet research. I was like, well, what am I doing wrong? Surely I just, you know, try to pet it every day. That'll help. I was so naive. This was just like really dumb of me. So then I find out that, oh, nobody socializes cats once they're over like 12, maybe 16 weeks old. And this cat is six years old. Like, this is just stupid. So then, but then it's like, all this time is invested so I doubled down and through a long process, I'm rambling a little bit through a long process. I socialized this cat to where every night when I get into bed, it's waiting in the bed for me to crawl into my lap and cuddle up every morning. When I wake up, it hears when I wake up, we named him Santa because he tried to escape up our chimney one time. Um, and it's really great because his full name is Santa Claus, the C-L-A-W-S. And uh, he is he is my buddy. Like, I love him. And he taught me that even when you want to give up on someone, that, that someone just wants to be loved. Wow. And that was an 18-month process. And now we're two years in and it's just, it's smooth, it's great. Um, 
But I appreciate, and I wish I had a little more time. Yeah, that's why I asked how much time we had left. Yeah. I appreciate everything he's taught me about love and about patience. That's beautiful. Why you got a beekeeper outfit? I, I, uh, I, I have four hives. I get about 20 gallons of honey a year. Um, I don't know what to do with all that honey. It's sitting in some five-gallon buckets in my spare bedroom. I cook with it. Looks about it. I should sell it. But uh, that, that's, not my, that's not my line of work. It's just a hobby. So that's, that's the important question from the cat story is why do I have beekeeping gloves? I was hoping you were going to say, well, yeah, on my five-day road trip, everyone's required to wear a beekeeping outfit the entire time. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful story. And I was making a joke by going to the I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I love that you got that cat to come around. I love it. I love it. You strike me as someone who's really kind of got it together. But there's a running theme in, in all your stories, from the lawnmower to the road trips to the cat. Which seems to be that you're somebody who, um, how would I put it? Somebody who seems to fight pretty hard to get active in the world, to adjust it in ways that you need it to be adjusted. Does that make sense? Like you needed that cat to come around. You need these road trips to happen. You ran into that yard and, and made it happen to another, another person, which... Maybe it makes me feel like you're somebody who's rallying against some feelings that the world isn't isn't that enough. Hmm. I will I will think on that. Um, I, I do have an optimistic outlook. I generally trust people. I want to connect with people, and uh, I hope that with our connection, that their life is improved, and it it improves mine. So maybe it's selfish, but I hope it's a uh, uh, a win-win. A win-win. Selfishness that leads to win-wins. That's what it is. Brianna suggests you sell the honey to fundraise for your trips. I like that. And make the trips free or make the trips better? That's a great question. Cyril says uh, you would make a great foster parent. Cool. I, I have several foster siblings that are now like adopted siblings from... We, we, my, my parents did foster care. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I have a friend that just showed up at my house. Can I introduce you? Yeah, sure. I'll let her take it from here. Remember when I said I had a friend that told me to call? Yeah. It's her? She just showed up. Oh, we got one minute and, uh, left. I, I just want to say I've had such a great chat with you. Thank you. I've had a great chat with you. you. What a lovely you, thing to say and, hello to the uh, organizer of this. Here's over to a friend. Hey, Chris. Hey, I just want to say you're welcome. <laughs> for five wonderful episodes. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Wait, hold on. What, do, what does that mean? Are you the person from the two Scotland shows? It's anonymous. You're the person who already got through and then already got another friend through at another live show and now you did it again? Yeah, I've done it. This is the fifth time. The, pr the practice at failing, the parade girl. Yeah. That is you're, her. You're she dominating the show. Here's the thing, Chris. What were your words? You said so you called me a master manipulator. This is fucking insane. I have a nemesis. <laughs> this is insane. You did it again. She, she's been invited on the adventure trip all three years, has never come, so maybe you two can uh, meet each other okay, yeah. next summer. Wait, hold on, because we just ran out of time, but you said five episodes, and I can count three. Yep. You, you got two other people on? Yeah, and then one of them was, like, your most shared, according to Spotify. So, like I was said, you're welcome. The library boy one? It's anonymous. <laughs> the fuck is going on? What's happening? How did you crack the algorithm? People try to get through to this show for years and you can just get on by yourself and you've gotten all your friends on. Who are you? Why are you doing this? It's a good prank though, because they've all gone very well. <laughs> 
So wait, you texted this guy. He calls up, <laughs> drops another killer call. And then you drive to his house while the call's happening just so you can grab the phone with one minute left and fucking flex on me? Chris, Chris, what would you have done if you were me? Like, would, you can't tell me you wouldn't have done the same thing. I absolutely would have, but holy shit, I gotta go sit down and think about this. Why? I just want to know why. Well, actually, a lot of people have asked me that because I've tried to get a lot of people on this podcast. Um, and sometimes you just need a hobby. Like, that's it. Like, Do you want to say thanks and good night to the live show, the live audience here in North Carolina and let them know some of them are probably sticking around for the stand-up. For the ones who are, I'll see you in a few minutes. For the ones who aren't, thank you so much for supporting the show and witnessing one of the strangest moments I've ever had on stage. Thank you, everyone, for joining my and Chris Gethard's beautiful Mountain We'll see you next time. Caller, I have to thank you for calling, even if you were being manipulated by a masterful manipulator, my new nemesis, who's now apparently organizing what gets on the show and what doesn't. Who knew? Thanks for calling. Thanks for helping other people. Thanks for trying to help the world. Thanks to Andrea Quinn, who comes on the road and engineers the sound for me. Thanks to the Motorco Music Hall for having us down in Durham. This show is produced by Anita Flores. It's engineered by Jared O'Connell. Our theme song's by Shell Shack. Want to know more about me and my live dates? ChrisGeth.com. And wherever you're listening, you can hit subscribe, favorite, follow. It helps a lot when you do. Find our merch at podswag.com. Find our episodes ad-free over at Stitcher Premium. Use the promo code STORIES for a one-month free trial at stitcher.com slash premium.